1: for listening to the ron and don show i'm g-force o'neill the real brains of this operation hey dad can we go get a sandwich hey
0: you guys what's going on it's episode number 208 now of the ron and don show he's ron what is up ron and don nation yeah and i'm don we're live from the Leshwab rob studios thanks to them for signing on for all of 2021 we are so appreciative for that hey coming up with the ron and Don show we're talking to one of our clients the other day and she is actually a nurse that just got vaccinated and you're not going to believe some of the hurdles that the healthcare industry is facing right now when it comes to vaccination. Also, Ron, you want to talk about someone called the Bean Dad, is that right?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting story. There's a lot of uh, threads attached to this one, including Ken Jennings and the future of Jeopardy, but it involves a dad, a can of beans, a six-year-old child, and a can opener. Um, it's it's actually, I, I can't wait to hear, I don't know what you're going to say about it, but I'm excited to hear.
0: All right, and also, a lot of people have asked us, they know that we're licensed realtors at Windermere. And we had a great, great year last night. Thanks to everybody in the Ron and Don Nation. A lot of people are wondering, should I sell right now? Should I buy right now? What's happening in the market and what's going to happen in 2021? Uh, Some of the new early stats are out, which are kind of staggering. And we're going to share those with you and tell you whether you should buy, whether you should sell. And, oh, by the way, if you're thinking about buying or selling, we have something called a Ronadon playbook that we have written
1: just for you guys. Well, there's two of them. There's one for a buyer, one for a seller. If you want a free playbook, if this has piqued your interest, just email me directly, ron at I'll send it out to you straight away. All right.
0: Hey, let's do this. We were talking to a healthcare professional uh and we're just going to call her Leslie, okay? And that's not her real name. We're talking to a, a healthcare professional the other day. And this is someone that is one of our clients and she works on the front lines and on the second lines when it comes to getting folks uh, vaccinated. I was stunned when I read the other day that in Israel, Israel, it'll take 3 months to get everyone vaccinated that needs to be vaccinated in Israel. And certainly more people live there than live here.
1: No, live here than live there.
0: or live Yeah. But here in the United States, uh, we are on the slow track, not a fast track. We are on the slow track right now. They say it may take five to six years for us to get all get vaccinated and have herd immunity at this rate. And the difficulty is we now know that COVID-19 is mutating and some of these mutations that happen every 2 to 4 weeks are actually they're not necessarily more more deadly but they are more contagious as a result of that. And they also said some new research out today that when we look at some of these super spreader events at a lot of these events it's the people that are asymptomatic that seem to be spreading this new version of COVID-19 you're on the same call that I was uh what did you kind of learn and what was kind of uh what were kind of the headlines for you because we we, we 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 were supposed to have an hour conversation about real estate which we did but when we started having this vaccination conversation uh it was riveting and we probably talked to her for about 45 minutes I think
1: I mean my main takeaway is first off that medical professionals are are truly heroic um, they, for the most part, are unsung heroes, get very little accolade are probably underpaid and overworked. And usually it's, it's a mixture of a vocation and a calling, like very passionate about trying to help other people, willing to put themselves into harm way, harm's way day in and day out. And so that, that was my, one of my main takeaways is that we should, when you interact with anyone in these communities, medical professionals, be patient, be kind, be effusively thankful. For what they're doing, because man, I, I I think I would have just thrown in the towel by now and been like, man, I can make a living a, a easier than this. So that was one takeaway that I had. The other one is that um, this is should not be this difficult. The way our healthcare system is set up, and and we've talked about this for years and years and years on the Ronadon Show, is it it hurts us more than it helps us, especially in times like this. Like we're, we're trying to invoke and enlist like dentists to help, you know, Hey, do you know how to use a needle? Like, boom, get in here and do it. Like they're understaffed, under volunteered. There's tons of logistics because of the way the, you know, we have 8,000 insurance providers and different of the bronze level and the gold yellow level and the silver level and the, you know, X, Y, and Z. There's just so many variants of insurance. Everybody has their own form. Everybody wants all a different form filled out. Uh, each drug has its own requirements. You have to track the data. you got to scan everything. You have to report on the results. So th- we've created this thing where there's no infrastructure in place, where, like you mentioned, foreign countries. If you're in a country like England, you have, there's one form. You have one number. You go in, and th- here I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, they have one system, one computer. So they're not having to do uh, all of this gymnastics that we need to do in our country. And then the other thing that we've seen is at the federal level, they basically, because of the politics of this election cycle and the sore feelings about losing an election, kind of delivered vaccine and said, all right, figure it out, states. Figure it out. And I think that was a dereliction of duty.
0: Yeah, what I learned in talking to her is is number one. When you look at a place like Israel, it's easy and easier for them because they have paperwork on everybody because everybody's been in the army, right? It's a requirement there, and also healthcare around the world is so much better. I just paid fifteen hundred and eight dollars for healthcare for myself and my son. Uh, we don't have cards. When I call and try to match up my health care with certain providers and hospitals uh, they're just like bro" and I'm like, but I'm paying fifteen hundred and eight dollars a month fifteen hundred and eight dollars a month for myself and for my son and we have a very very difficult
1: time and that's not even for Cadillac insurance.
0: yeah, it is not. It, 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 we are having. You still a, got
1: copay. You still got a deductible.
0: Yeah, we're having a very difficult time co- connecting all these things because because we're new to to this type of insurance in Washington State. This is what was interesting to me, though. Uh, I looked on my Facebook page the other day. I saw three people getting the shot that aren't healthcare workers, and they're not healthcare providers. One of one of the folks getting a shot, and I wanted to ask her about it. Uh, she is a secretary for a construction company and so we asked the young woman that we were talking to today we're like how could they end up getting a shot when they're not even a healthcare provider she said two things number one they may be a volunteer so if you decide to volunteer and they need volunteers right now the the problem that they have is they don't know they don't know how to train the volunteers there, there's not a system to train the volunteers. There's not a 1-800 number for you to call to be a volunteer. If there was, we would give it out. And I've done a follow-up on this. So, so they lack volunteers. They want volunteers. But they have an inability to train those volunteers. Also, facilities. Uh, it's, it's, it's one thing to get the COVID test like you did the other day. When, when you have to do mass vaccinations, especially with vaccinations and vaccines that have to be refrigerated and can spoil over time. Uh, she said that may be one of the reasons why you see people uh, getting vaccinated that aren't healthcare professionals. She said in their facility, they have so many shots that they prepare each and every day. And if there's not enough he- healthcare professionals that show up to get the vaccine because it has a shelf life, they just start. Uh, yeah, one she,
1: vial could have like 30 yeah. treatments. And if only yeah. 25 healthcare providers are there, they'll yeah. go get five people yeah. and, and and make sure they use every dose. Yeah,
0: and she said at one facility they were using Pfizer. Then they ran out of that. And there's a whole bunch it's of paper. Moderna. Yeah, that has to go. And then they waited for Moderna. Then they got Moderna. And then w- with one of the vaccines, they have to go back and they have to give a booster shot. Also, when you get the vaccination, you can't leave. So what do you do with people in cars? And then they have some kind of... Uh, reaction yeah they end up having a shock or something as a result of getting the vaccine so if you have people come through like they have with the covid tests in cars you, you can't drive the car after that now you have a traffic jam because you're supposed to stay there for at least 15 to 20 minutes so nobody has really fought this through and in the operation warp speed thing is just a freaking joke because what it comes down to is it comes down to logistics. And it's one reason why the federal government just threw up their hands and said we're going to let the states do it because the federal government didn't want to commit the time, the energy, and the effort to figuring out what are the logistics going to be. And it's one of the reasons why around the country right now we've seen even seen some of these vaccines spoil. So we just have to hope that as this new administration comes in that there's some kind of uniformity with the states? uh, Because right now, there's going to be some governors out there that maybe get this done, and then maybe there's going to be some other... I mean, what do you do if you're Gavin Newsom? You have 40 million people in your state that have to get vaccinated. What is that? Like the seventh largest uh, economic a uh, driver in the world, the state of California. And you look at New York, how is New York going to do that? How are you well, going to get everyone vaccinated? I, I
1: do have a little bit of optimism. I mean, Washington state has some of the premier virologists and medical uh, physicians and med centers in the entire world. So I, I'm confident at least that we have the expertise. We
0: have the expertise, whether, whether we have, have the s- resources or but not, now, but now you have to scale it. Right. And, and I talked to another one of my friends who is a nurse and they are they are on the front lines the second lines the third lines they just have the ability to come in and to help and to give a shot
1: and if you have 3 doses left over i will run down and get yeah. it
0: but she so so she's willing to volunteer but she's still waiting to be called uh, to be a part of something bigger than herself so so anyway we just have to pray as this new administration comes in that we can figure out the logistics and that uh, we can get it done. So anyway, we come back. uh, We got an interesting story about a dad and a can of beans. We'll talk about it on the other
1: side of this. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. I had grown to trust the image of Ron and Don, you know, doing their, their advocacy for all the charities and stuff that they do. And I thought, well, they seem like good guys. Let's go for it. When I uh, decided to put my home on the market, it was a natural for me to choose them to list the property. Ron and Don proposed a sit-down, so they came over to our house. They came super prepared, and they came more in learning mode, right? And what was important to each of us. When we first sat down, they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood. They had... Several suggestions on you know when we should go on the market, what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market.
0: They were precise and clear. They managed our expectations well. If Don saw, you know, a risk or an area of concern he wanted us to be aware of, they just they just did a superb job. And they seemed personally interested in the houses we would tour. I think both of them said at some point, when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to
1: jump in and make this the house for us. They do have a way of making you feel like they're your only client. (laughs) That's super important to me. I don't think we'd have this house if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. I think I was just so impressed with the quality of the work that they did. We had multiple offers. $50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. It was
0: the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. The buying process
1: was wonderful, and the selling process felt like we were their most important project. I I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Here's my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron, and my dad, Don. All
0: right, you guys, what's going on? Episode 208 now of The Ron and Don Show. Again, live from the Les Schwab Studios. And you just heard some of our great clients. from um, uh, 2020 as we head into 2021. And we want to thank everybody. We sold always, is it $20 million in real estate we sold Pretty last close, year? Pretty close, yeah. Pretty close to $20 million. How about that? That's crazy. And anyway, just about everybody was part of the Ronadon Nation. So we thank you for that. Uh, if you're looking to buy, if you're looking to sell, or if you just have some questions and want to do a Ronadon sit down, that's our website, ronadonsitdown.com. Uh, and I think we did uh, five or six sit-downs this year already, and we'd love to sit down with you. Go to sitdown.com. You're under no obligation. We'll just have a great conversation and uh, find out if you we You have an want. obligation
1: to have fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs> See if we'll be a part of uh, our real estate journey uh, together. Uh, what's the story about beans and dads and babies and diapers, and you're all, you're all fired up Well,
1: Well, there's a lot of wrinkles here, so let me introduce the characters. You have Ken Jennings... Who is lives in Seattle and is the best uh, Jeopardy! person ever who's trying to get the Jeopardy! dub. He does a podcast with a guy called John Roderick. John Roderick is uh, also in Seattle, and he is a singer, and he was on a band, in a band called The Long Winters. Yeah. And so this is sort of an alternative band that had some notoriety and popularity. Okay. He has a nine-year-old daughter. Yeah. And so, here's the basic gist of this. His nine-year-old wanted some beans for dinner. Yeah. And so, John thought it would be a teachable moment to say, you need to figure out, nine-year-old, how to use the can opener.
0: Hang, hang on. This is not the story I read. The story that I read, because I want to get it right, is that she had never had beans before and that he had introduced this as a special is is a special he, he really played it up like like it's like you're it's the first time a baby's had a piece of cake or had some chocolate and in order to get this amazing thing that may be like a piece of cake or chocolate you're gonna have to open the can yourself so i don't i I, I think he was really upselling the okay, fact. So he
1: upsells the can. Because
0: that's what was gonna be that was gonna be the funny part is nah nah nah, nah all she got was a can of beans, right? So, so he gives so her the can of beans. The, so that was the cruel gives her the
1: can opener, yeah, and then proceeded to not help the child for a six hour ordeal. Of the kid trying to open the can of beans. And so then he took to Twitter and was tweeting about this experience, calling it a teachable moment. And fans of the band, fans of the podcast, um, were quick to revolt against this sentiment. He sort of doubled down on it uh, and is pretty snarky. And then people started digging through his Twitter, as the folks are wont to do in cancel culture and they find some things that they deemed were not racially sensitive in his past on Twitter and so they pull Ken Jennings into the fray cuz Jennings is wanting to get the Jeopardy job and so then Ken goes on his Twitter his social media and he apologizes for some insensitive jokes that he has told in the past
0: because they've done a, a, cuz they do a podcast together this gentleman Correct. and Ken Jennings
1: and and so uh Ken Jennings tries to clear the air before his Jeopardy shows begin next week. Uh and so he's going he's doing a temporary hosting gig. I think he wants the gig and so he's trying to clear the air. And so we got two different threads going here, but the first one as a father, is there I mean maybe he was a little harsh, but is there is it a teachable moment to say here's a piece of technology? Um it's relatively rudimentary figure it out don't go to youtube don't uh look in the encyclopedia that's not what
0: he was doing though what what this guy was doing and, and and we've seen other dads out there do it they're they're using their kids to become famous and to make money because what people have found out i can't become a youtube star on my own i i know a guy that's in the fitness industry uh and he lost his fitness businesses and now he's trying to find some traction out on youtube And he can't find any traction. He cannot find any traction at all. So what he's doing now is he's now incorporating his young son. And he's having his young son do some really weird things uh, in the same spirit as this. Trying to see if they can get some eyeballs on it. Because at the end of the day, if you can get a lot of eyeballs on YouTube... YouTube will start writing your checks, right? So people see that and they hear you. They they go out online. Who's 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 the woman out there that just does wrapping paper? She wraps and unwraps gifts, and as a result, oh, right. of, there's all kinds of channels. She's become a,
1: ASMR stuff.
0: Yeah, she's become a multi multi millionaire. There's a lot of people out there that think it's quick money, and they're willing to to drag her. Cho- Tom Brady does that. He does that with his kids when he's when he's trying to sell his line of twelve. And he pulls them in on his videos. Uh, and as a result of that... Kisses him
1: on the mouth and the, the yeah. video goes viral. And we've
0: seen this in reality show too. I mean, the, the Kardashians. One of the reasons why one of the youngest Kardashians is one of the richest women in the world right now is because she was drugged into that television show at a very, very early age. And they started doing liposuction and boobs and everything else. So I think what you have here is you have an opportunist, uh, opportunistic father. And and I think about this, too. Like, I try to be really careful if I take a picture of you, myself, and my son, and we put it up online. Or we sang some Christmas uh, carols uh, this year. Some of those Christmas carols we did alone, and some of those he wanted to come in and play the bells, so we let him play the bells. He wants to possibly be a broadcaster someday. And so this is fun when we do this, but our business model, our podcast, our real estate – is not dependent on whether my son is on or not. And and what is happening here with these dads is they are trying to provide they're trying to provide shocking moments. This guy is loving this, by the way. I don't think this bothers him at all. I think it bothers Ken Jennings because he might lose this gig. I think this other guy, it's made him famous. And there's a lot of people, if they can't get famous by doing it the right way, they have no problems. Doing it the wrong way, as far as as long as they're getting some kind of attention. Just look at our president; he loves the attention. That's why he doesn't want to leave the Oval Office. So, in this particular case, I think this guy got what he wanted. So.
1: Okay, so let's let's set the social media side of a part of it to the side. What about just the generational thing of allowing a child to struggle with something?
0: Hey, you know what? You've come out and done demo with me, and I'll tell you this right now: my son is ten. You're fifty. He's done more demo than you have. Uh, he can probably work demo tools better than you can. And you're good with tools. You're a good builder. You're a maker. You, you have a website where you make stuff. Uh, Ron is really gifted. Every once in a while, he'll hand me something, and he's like, here's a pen. I made it out of a tree. I'm like, you made this pen? Yeah. So, so you have these mad skills, but I'm not afraid to put a crowbar in his hand. If you, if you put a smash bar in his hand, and you say, hey, we're going to go do some demo, he gets fired up for that. He has his own helmet that says G-Force on it. He has his own set of gloves. He has his own respirator. So at the age of 10, now when we demo, I may go in there and I may demo on a weekend for eight or nine hours. He may demo and come in for 30 or 40 minutes and then hang out, eat some lunch, uh, have some fun, play some games, read a book, and then just kind of jump in when he feels like it. I want him to be around men working physically with their hands, around people, because I don't want him just to be around video games all the time. I want him to feel that. I want him to understand. I wasn't taught about tools at at a young age. I don't. I don't know if you were, but my father never introduced me to tools. Uh, I even had to figure out how to take the lawnmower apart and put that back together when the damn thing broke down, which I got pretty good at. So I just had to kind of figure things out on my own. So I think it is helpful. If we take children and we place them in a setting where people are working and they're working hard uh, because uh, they can walk away with a life skill, you you have lots and lots of skills, and we talked about this before, uh, because you 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 have this spirit of whatever it takes, and will you put yourself in certain situations? And I think we should do that with our kids sometimes too. But not when it becomes a joke, not when it becomes ha-ha, not when it becomes clickbait, not when we're trying to make money off our kids. Tom Brady did that. This guy did this. We saw this father a number of months ago uh, who made his kid run out in front of the car. He was trying to catch uh, create a YouTube moment, too. So everybody is trying to become a star on the backs of their young kids and make money as a result of that. That kind of made I, that makes me a bit sick to myself. Oh,
1: me as well. I, I totally condemn that. I, I, I do think, though, that there is value in letting a child struggle to figure something out and not doing it for them all But you the don't time. have to
0: put it on YouTube. No,
1: you don't have to put it on YouTube. You yeah. don't have to stretch it out for six hours. Yeah. Um, but developing persistence and in developing the desire to figure something out and not just give up. Uh, there are so many times that I meet adults that give up too quickly. The, the, at the at the first sign of struggle, they just give up. Yeah, I'm I'm going. I'm taking my ball and going home. It's like you're an adult. Yeah, like lean into this for a minute. Like right. you, you don't give up as soon as you get resistance. Yeah. So you can't open the can. Yeah, figure it out. Struggle a little bit, try to unlock how the technology works. Then, if it goes on, you know, when you're nine, it goes on for five, 10, 15 minutes, you know, give them some pointers, but then let them get the satisfaction of doing the thing.
0: And then, and then, and then that train track of memory, uh, the neurons that fire together, they wire together. And it's one of the reasons why kids are so voracious learners. I'm watching my son just week to week learn the trumpet and it it's like he he is really excelling in that right now cuz cuz his brain is being wired as he practices that and i hear him up here all the time struggling and then the other day he played a song for my mom uh just on the computer and she was in albuquerque she was blown away by that she 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 went wow you're you're gifted you've gotten so good he's not gifted he's just been working really hard gifted is when you take time you take energy and you take persistence and you keep coming at something like you just said, and you lean into it and you do it over and over and over again. And then out of that uh, comes your game.
1: And then just real quickly, I hope they don't cancel culture. Ken Jennings, he has said some bad jokes on Twitter. I do think he's a good guy. We've met him several times. I think he would be a good jeopardy host. Uh, I don't think What what were his bad jokes on Twitter. He just has some sometimes off putting jokes Um, he tries a lot of times he's very funny, but there are times that where he's stepping on a line or it's just cringy. I don't recall them right off the top of my head because maybe
0: he shouldn't be the Jeopardy host. I mean, mean,
1: I've, I've, I mean, I don't, I don't,
0: if you're saying racial shiznit, on your Twitter, I don't that's think that not, he that's has. Not, okay. Because that's not okay anymore. It's just not. And you shouldn't be a Jeopardy host if, if, if you are. No, so. it's not
1: racial. The the other guy has has dipped his toe into some racial t- sort of stuff. Yeah. So are you guilty by association? I, I don't think no, I don't it needs think you to are.
0: be. No, I don't think you are. Anyway. Hey, don't go uh, anywhere. Coming up, a lot of people are asking us what's going to happen in 2021. Should I buy? Should I sell right now? What should I do? We definitely have some opinions about that. We'll tell you on the other side of this.
1: If you have a friend that is ready to start their real estate journey, send them to ronanddonsitdown.com. All
0: right, you guys, welcome back to uh, episode 208 of the Ron and Don Show. The reason why we do something called the Ron sitdown Sit Down uh, is a lot of times people on their real estate journey, they don't know, should I, should I buy right now? Should I sell right now? What's happening with the interest rates? What's happening in the economy? What's happening with myself? Uh, do I want to move to the country? see a lot of people doing that right now. Is, uh, COVID has become an issue in leaving the urban core. Other people are saying, wow, maybe I should move back into the urban core of places like Seattle because maybe I can rip a deal on a condo as uh, some of those things have softened up because people have left those areas so they didn't feel safe or because they didn't have the amenities that typically you want in a downtown core because a lot of the restaurants, bars, and other things have been closed. Today, we did, we did a run-and-done sit-down, and a lot of times, we don't derive business out of it. We hope to, because it's the way that we make money, pay for this podcast. It's the way that I feed my 10-year-old son. But many times, we end up meeting people from the Ronadon nation. We might give them advice. We might refer them to somebody else, uh, or we might end up doing a deal. You never know. And if we don't do a deal now, like with our friend Todd, we ended up doing a deal like six months down the road, right? And it was such a fun deal that we did with Todd. I bet we'll end up doing another uh, deal here at some point. Today, uh, we talked to one of my good friends, uh, Laura, who's a commercial broker, and she wanted to know, should I sell now or should I wait till October? And so we have some thoughts about that. Tomorrow, we're going to talk to uh, one of our clients and wants to know hey, should I sell my house now? I'm in a position where I lost my job. The cash inside that house is real important to me, and there's a lot of cash in that house. Will there be as much cash in that house six months from now because that house is my piggy bank? What do you guys think? So Ron, what do you think as you look at your crystal ball as we approach 2021, and as we constantly hear these questions, should I buy, should I sell, and are those even the right questions? Those are the kind of things that we talk about typically in a, in a Ron and Don sit down.
1: Right? Yeah, the first thing is, is it's impossible to time the market. So the best time, the only only way you know if you were at the top or the bottom is when you're looking in the rearview mirror. And so you can go, we can look back and go, hey, 2018 at this specific date, that was the market peak. And you could say 2008, 2009 on this specific day, that was the absolute bottom. But you don't know that going forward. So I like to advise people to, that shouldn't be the deciding factor. Um, the deciding factor should be, where are you at? And this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with is identifying. And this is why I think it takes so long. Most people think about a real estate transaction for like 18 months before they actually do anything. They start looking at websites. They start examining things. They start thinking about it. They start daydreaming uh, they might even go back in the day, pop into an open house or drive out into the country or whatever before they actually get motivated to do something. So the biggest step to me in this entire process is what do you want? What is it that you really want? And so for somebody that like is in a situation where there's an employment change and they need equity in a home, that's a very different situation than a person that's getting a divorce and they're forced to sell their home. Uh, It's like, hey, they're part of our divorce decree is we have to sell this home and split up the assets. That's very, very different. Someone that is retiring and saying, you know what? I, I had my career on the West coast. I'm going to move back and be closer to my family. I'm going to sell this house here. I'm retiring and I'm looking forward to being closer to my family. That's a very different situation. Now we had some other, other people where it's like, should I buy right now? Well, it depends. Like that's what the process that we have with the Ron and sit down is all about. But I will say this, if you've been on the sidelines, and you have some money that's been in an account somewhere just sitting there and you've been thinking about real estate, I think there's a lot of opportunity right now. I think there's opportunity in the condo market, as you said. I think there's opportunity in in some pockets of the East Side right now. I think there's some opportunity along the light rail situation. I think there's some opportunity for investment properties. I think there's a lot of opportunity right now if you're wanting to jump in uh, absolutely on I'm, I'm both sides, buyers and sellers. What about you?
0: Well, I you could take the same house. Let, let's take a let's take a $650,000 house in Ballard if you can find one. And I could take Three different clients and tell them three different things. I could tell a client you should absolutely sell because maybe you did lose your job. And there is going to be some kind of correction in the market here. Money is super cheap now. So it will continue to be cheap as we head uh, into the early part of this year. But will it still be cheap in the fall or will it be cheap this time next year? That we don't know. But if you're in a situation where your house is your piggy bank, and you're really reliant on that piggy bank, and security is important to you, then maybe you are going to sell now. On the other hand, if you're like, hey, this has been a great house. It's a little thrashed inside. I'm going to paint it. I'm going to travel for a couple of years because I have my laptop, and I'm going to go to Mexico, let's say, and travel around Mexico. Uh, And I could take this house, and I can rent this house out to someone else. I know I'll have to pay a company 8 to 10% to rent the house out. And maybe I'll rent the house out for the next three to five years, let somebody else pay the equity and, and pay down the mortgage. That particular client, I would say, you know what, don't sell. Don't. And there's not a lot of real estate agents that do that because I think many, well, I shouldn't say many, but I know some. I should say many. It's about the transaction for them sometimes. And my concern is about the transaction for you and where you are on that journey. So in that particular case, it's like, yeah, you know what? You should hang on to that house in Ballard. And you should go travel. And you're not depending on whether the market goes up or down. Because you're like, hey, I'm going to do this for the next five years. So maybe it makes sense to hang on to that piece of real estate. So that's the way that I look at it. You take the same house, take the same property. And it just depends upon where you are when it comes to specific and different life events, right? Uh, Right now in downtown Seattle, I do see an opportunity. Condo markets are not selling. They are not moving. And we see them really softening. And in Seattle, it's interesting. But that's a
1: long-term play.
0: Yeah, when when the housing market is hot, many times the condo market is not. And when the condo market heats up, then we'll see a reversal sometimes in the housing market. So I think for a lot of people, though, if you are dependent on your house really being a piggy bank and you are dependent in the next you know, year or two and you're going to need that money, uh, then you might think about selling. But like, hey, I can hang on to this thing. I have enough equity in it where the mortgage payment would be a push, meaning I don't have cash flow but at the same time, I'm not losing money, this doesn't become a feeder property, then that may make sense to you. Other people we have found, when we sit down with them, they're like, yeah, I'm going to hang on to this, and I want to be a landlord. And then we describe to them what it's like to be a landlord. Some of them are up for it, and they're like, right on. Other people are like, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that after you just described me. We're sitting in a house right now. It's two years old. The floors in this house, this house was used for two years as an Airbnb. And this house made a lot of money as an Airbnb. Uh, this is one of the homes that I own. If you look around at these floors, though, and I, I spent a lot of money on these floors. These are these are top-line finishes in this house. These are A-plus finishes. Uh, these floors in this house, close to $100,000, they are thrashed. And even though there were signs that went up and said, hey, please don't wear your high heels in the house and all that, and people promised not to do that, uh, I would be... St- Uh, downstairs sometimes in my office because I have an office here in this house, and you could hear people just clip-clopping all over the place and partying and everything else. It can be really rough to be a landlord uh, if you have a nice property, and it would kill me. Sometimes I would be down there when I was working in my office, and I would have to put earplugs in, and on top of that, noise-canceling headphones because I could not stand Hearing people go clippity clop, clippity clop around on my hundred thousand dollar floors, so it drove me absolutely nuts. And now when I walk around, because uh, now I'm living in this house, and when I walk around upstairs and I see, especially in the kitchen, just how thrashed the floor is, it breaks my heart a little bit. It breaks my heart, and I'm like, but that's that's part of being a landlord.
1: Hey, it's if just, you need a, a crew that can rip all your floors out, I know, I know a crew.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about you. We're talking about me right now. So we we. Uh, we When did we talk about that story in your flood? I think that was on uh, episode 206, if you guys want to check that out. So anyway, we do something called a sit down. I think what you'll love about it is what we love about it is we get to meet people that have been listening to the Ron and Don show for years. Or if you refer us because it's a referral business, we get to meet somebody that's one of your family and friends. And I think the thing that we really appreciate is that you guys trust us. Because you've been listening to us for a long time. We appreciate that. We don't take that lightly that you trust us. And, and when we sit down with you, uh, we still we still know. We still know that even though you may trust us from the radio side, we still need to get in there and really deliver when it comes to being your representative, when it comes to being your chief negotiator, when it comes to being your real estate agent, and we want to make sure that we really look out for you. If you talk to some of our, our former clients and current clients, uh, I think they will say that uh, we go to the mat for them, that it is not about the exchange of money. It is not. It is about, in fact, we had Randy on uh, the other day, and he's a gentleman that struggles with his vision. We're going to meet with him uh, tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And Randy said that to us. He said, you know what I love about you guys? And the reason I reached out is because you guys have always put people first. And he said, I know in this particular transaction, because he's looking for a particular type of investment property, he said that I know you'll put me first in the transaction second. And uh, I think that's really true. And I think that's what I'm most proud of uh about our real estate journey and our real estate business this year yeah it's so. been a
1: joy I, I can't wait to sit down with you and, and it's never too early if you're like i want to sell something nah,
0: i think 4 a.m is a little early yes I'm not, 4 I'm, do, I'm not gonna do a sit down at 4 a.m 4
1: so. 30 maybe
0: ron might do that at 4 30 but hey I, I don't get up till about anywhere between 5 and 5 45 so i have no interest in that but you guys thanks for stopping by and sharing this episode of the Ron and Don show with us, would you do a couple things for us? Number one, if you hit the subscribe button, I know you hear everyone ask you to do that. It helps the algorithm and it helps to tell more people that the Ron and Don show is out there. Also, we would love it if you take the last five episodes and just listen to them over and over and over and over again, even when you're not listening, just put them on speaker, make the dog listen, the cat listen, everybody listen because that's what advertisers care about. Uh, how many times have people listened to the Ron and Don show in the last 30 days? Well, that's what they ask. And we just want you to just put it on a loop. So we're in your ears, you guys, all the time. Right? Thanks to Les Schwab, for sponsoring the Ron and Don show. We so appreciate them. He's Ron, I'm Don. And don't forget, if you want to sit down with us, just go to our website. It's ronandonsitdown.com. If you've never seen us before, go to ronandonsitdown.com. It is shocking what we really look like. It is shocking. Just go to RonadonsitDown.com. And we'll see you next time only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ha! I'm not doing that. <laughs>